Well, uh, Dr. Kelsey used two words this morning uh, to express well what, some of what I was trying to say last night, and I thought that they were worth repeating as we continue looking at the book of Ephesians this evening. And that is, he said, I not, don't remember exactly how he said it, but are we reacting, use the word reacting, to the bad news, or are we being agents of change because of the good news? Are you ready to look at the good news again tonight? The passage we're going to look at tonight is about the difference between being in and being on the outside looking in. And I can't think of a better context to get our minds around what it feels like to be in and what it feels like to be out than the teenage years. Now, everyone's experience of being a teen is different, but I'll share mine and you'll probably relate in one way or another. I started high school as an outsider. All of the kids that I wanted to hang out with were too cool for me. I was ignored. I was excluded. Sometimes I was teased. I was always trying to fit in, but never quite succeeding. Then in 10th grade, my fortunes changed. My assigned seat in English class was next to one of the most popular girls in the 10th grade, and somehow we grew to become friends that fall of 10th grade. Well, if I was cool enough for her, pretty soon I was cool enough for everyone else in her crowd. Suddenly I was in. I got invited to sit at their lunch table. I got invited along to whatever they were doing. I got to be in on the inside jokes. I was now part of the gang. And it doesn't get much better than that for a 15-year-old. In tonight's passage, Paul says that something like that has happened to each one of us if we've put our trust in Jesus Christ. Let's read about it in Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You may be seated and let's pray. 
God, we thank you that you, your Holy Spirit, got a hold of the Apostle Paul and inspired him to write these words. I pray that you'd open them up to our minds and to our hearts so that we would encounter you, we would encounter your love, and we would have a fresh vision of what it is that you're doing through Jesus Christ in the world today. In Jesus' name, amen. In verses 11 to 12 of this passage, Paul says that before we knew Christ, we were out. We were on the outside. Then in verses 13 to 17, Paul tells us what Christ did to change our situation, much like my friend did for me in 10th grade. And then... Finally, in verses 18 to 22, Paul describes for us how we're now in, how we're insiders. Let's work our way through each of those three movements of this passage this evening. First, who we were. Second, what Christ did. And third, who we are now if our faith is in Christ. Paul begins the first movement with the first command in the book of Ephesians, the command to remember. Remember what you once were, he says. There's nothing worse than the child who grows up in humble circumstances, who grows up to have good fortune and then forgets who he or she used to be. Like the peasant girl who becomes a princess and in that royal position has no mercy on those still poor. Or the gangbanger who escapes to the good life of the burbs and is suddenly too good for his friends and families back in the hood. When we forget who we once were, we grow proud, we grow ungrateful, we lose our compassion. Remember, Paul says, remember who you were. Remember what life used to be like. In verses 11 to 12, Paul then reminds us. And he begins with the subject of name calling. Because nothing cuts deeper than being called names. Verse 11 Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. A Gentile, of course, is anyone who's not a Jew. And in Paul's day, Jews despised non-Jews and called them by all kinds of derogatory names like dog and Gentile sinner and uncircumcised. Now, now, to feel the bite of those names, we've got to think of derogatory names people use today. Think of the worst racial slur that you can think of or the crudest name that a kid might use to cut down another kid on the playground. That's the feeling a word like uncircumcised conveyed coming from a Jew's mouth toward a Gentile in Paul's day. They cut deep. Gentiles knew that they were on the outside. And like with African Americans in the Jim Crow South, the name calling was all the worse because it represented real discrimination. In the case of African Americans, it was social and economic and political and structural. There were restaurants you couldn't go into and schools you couldn't attend and, and jobs you couldn't be hired for. For Gentiles, the discrimination was social and cultural and above all spiritual. Listen to how Paul puts it. Gentiles were separated from Christ. They were excluded from citizenship in Israel. They were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. 
separated, excluded, foreigners to everything wonderful that God was doing in the world. First, Gentiles were separated from Christ. Ever since the days of the prophets, the Jews looked forward to the day when, when their Christ, their Messiah, would come. He would be a great king who would usher in the renewal of the whole world and would rule on earth forever, putting God's enemies under his feet. Now, if you were a Jew, this was good news. This was something to look forward to. But if you were a Gentile, this was a pretty fearsome thought because you were the enemies that Christ was coming to destroy. You were separated from Christ. Second, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. God had a people, a special people whom he called his own. God watched over them and cared for them. God taught them right from wrong. God revealed himself to them. And if you were a Gentile, you were just a persona non grata in all of this. None of this was for you. You were excluded from citizenship. Third, you were a foreigner to the covenants of the promise. God had made promises and commitments to His people. God would bless them and He would make them a blessing. God would never leave them or forsake them. God would always be their God and they would always be His people. But if you were a Gentile, then none of these promises were made to you. You were on the outside looking in. Like dirty street children with empty bellies pressing their faces against the window of an exclusive restaurant while well-heeled patrons are enjoying a sumptuous feast inside. That's what it was like to be a Gentile. As Paul summarizes in verse 14, we Gentiles were without hope and without God in the world. Remember, Paul says... Remember that you were outsiders, hopeless, without God. But now, verse 13. Aren't those beautiful words? Remember last night we, we saw those great words, but God. And tonight Paul reiterates that idea again. But now. You were on the outside. You were without hope. You were without God. But now, Christ the Messiah has come. And Christ has done something surprising and wonderful. And what Christ has done leads us into verses 13 to 17 and the second movement of this passage where Paul celebrates what Christ has done. And to get the full impact of this, I want to take a minute to put this next part in the context of the way the Apostle Paul saw the world. Alright, so this is going to be background for a couple minutes. Paul saw history as being made up of two ages. The old age and the new kingdom age. The old age was characterized by the flesh and the new age by the spirit. Notice that Paul uses these two words in our passage. Your translation may have sinful nature uh, for this word flesh. It's the same word translated a little different in some translations. A literal translation, for example, of the Greek of verse 11 reads, Therefore remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh, who were being called uncircumcised by those called circumcised in the flesh by human hands. Notice Paul begins by describing the way that things are according to the flesh. 
Then down in verse, verses 18 and 22, Paul talks next about what Christ has done for us, giving us access by one spirit uh, and building us into a temple in whom God dwells by his spirit. So we have flesh and we have spirit. Two ages. And these two words are loaded keywords for Paul in his letters. And they describe two realities which couldn't be more different. Flesh is, is weak and, and frail and impotent. Spirit is powerful and bursting with possibility. Flesh is sinful. It's bent on selfishness. Spirit is good and loving and righteous. In the old age, fleshly distinctions like your ethnic group or an outward mark like circumcision made all the difference. They could shut you out from God or they could ensure that you were in. And Gentiles in the flesh were stuck in the impotence and the powerlessness of that situation. That was the flesh, the old age of the flesh. But now, Paul says, Christ has come. And Christ, through His death and resurrection, has broken out of the old age of the flesh and brought us into a new age characterized by the Holy Spirit. And this has changed everything. And one of the key changes has to do with the Old Testament law. Verses 14 and 15. Christ has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in His flesh... The law with its commands and regulations. During the old age of the flesh, God gave his law to the Jews. A system of commands and rules to help them to obey God. The law separated the Jews from the rest of humanity. It taught the Jews to live differently. It taught them to love and to worship the one true God. It also gave them a unique identity and a unique culture, and it continues to do that to this day. Because of the law, Jews work six days and they rest on Saturday. Because of the law, Jews circumcise their sons. Because of the law, Jews do not eat pork or or shellfish or, or sit down at a table where such things might be served. And so because of the law in Paul's day, the Jews could not associate with Gentiles who didn't eat according to the law. The law was a good and a wonderful thing, but not only did it bless those who were in, but it excluded and cursed those who were out. And so like any wall, the law couldn't help but create hostility between the insiders and the outsiders. And so circumcised law keepers came to look down on uncircumcised, lawless Gentiles. The dividing, excluding nature of the law is graphically portrayed by the sore, the the stone wall which surrounded Herod's temple back in Paul's day, there in Jerusalem. And it was meant to keep the Gentiles away from God's holy presence. Every so often along this wall... A warning was posted in various languages, warning all Gentiles, quote, Let no one of any other nation come within this fence and barrier around the holy place. Whoever will be taken doing so will himself be responsible for the fact that his death will ensue. There's a no trespassing sign for you. 
That this is the dividing wall Paul's talking about. So this soreg, this dividing wall, Paul mentions it in verse 14. It came to, to symbolize and to embody what the law did to the Gentiles. Cutting them off from God's people and from God. Back in 1990, a friend of mine went to Germany. And he brought me back a piece of another wall. A wall of hostility which had stood for years, separating East and West, keeping a people divided. Then in 1989, that wall came down and two people became one. And that's like what Paul says Christ has done. Christ came and knocked down the wall. Now, how did Christ do it? Well, verses 14 and 15 say he set, a lot, he set aside the law when he died on the cross. This word set aside can also be translated nullify or render ineffective. The law has been nullified. It's been rendered ineffective by Jesus' death on the cross. That's what Paul's saying here. And let me give you a picture of this. Let's say that at the end of the week... I'm headed home with my family from Harvey Cedars. We're headed north on the Garden State Parkway. And we get all the way up north to the border and we cross into New York State. And let's say I have a lead foot. I don't, but let's say I do. And I'm going like 75. We're booking home. And, and then we just get into New York State. And, and then I see on the side of the road a state trooper. And I think, uh-oh, this could be a bad end to a very good vacation. But then I look again and I realize it's a New Jersey state trooper. I don't have to worry, right? Because I'm in New York now. That officer's authority, at least the way I understand it, that officer's authority to uphold the laws of the road was nullified or rendered ineffective when he left New Jersey. And so when Christ died on the cross, he left that old age of the flesh, which was under the authority of the law, and he broke through in his resurrection to a brand new age. The age of the spirit where the law is null and void. And so if we are with Christ, to use language from last night, then we have left the old age with Christ, the old age of the flesh, and we have entered the new age of the Spirit with Christ, and the Old Testament law has no more legal authority over us to condemn us. Christ is our authority now. When we obey Christ by the power of the Spirit, we fulfill the demands of the Old Testament law. But why would God do away with the law? I mean, the law is good, right? The, the Old Testament law is wonderful. The Ten Commandments and, and all the rest of it. It teaches us to worship the one true God, to tell the truth, to be faithful to our spouses, to care for the poor, to defend the cause of the oppressed. And the law is still important and, and useful to teach us God's heart, to reveal God to us, to teach us righteousness, to teach us how to live. But if we are in Christ, the difference is that now the law has no more authority to condemn us. We've crossed the line out of its authority. 
But why? Why would Christ do that? Why would Christ nullify the law and take away its authority in this new age of the Spirit? Answer? Because the law formed a barrier. It made for insiders and for outsiders. It was a wall. The law was a wall keeping us Gentiles out and away from God. And Christ wanted to bring us close. And so in love, Christ knocked down the wall. Verse 13, Paul goes on. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This verse means a lot to me. When I read it, I get this spatial picture of how far I was from God. God was there in His temple in the most holy place before Christ came. His presence was guarded by a heavy curtain and only the high priest could go in and and then only once a year. And outside of that heavy curtain was the rest of the temple and no one could go in even there except for the high pri- or except for the priests who were sanctified set apart. And outside of that temple there was the temple's inner court which was off limits to everyone except Jewish men. And outside of that court was the temple's court of the women which was off limits to everyone except Jews male and female. And outside of that, outside of the Soreg, was the temple's outer court. And that's where I was, far, far from God. But now, Paul says, Christ has brought down every wall and has brought me near. Verse 16, in one body, Christ reconciled us to God through the cross. In His death on the cross, Christ put to death the hostility between us and God. He buried the hatchet, so to speak. Everything that we'd done to offend God and alienate us from God, Christ took it away. And then He took our hand and He took us right past the Soreg with its no trespassing sign and into the court of the women and then into the inner Jewish court and then past the altar and then up the steps and into the temple itself, and then through that curtain into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. Where Father and Son wept tears of joy and embraced us and celebrated being reconciled to us. Well, believe it or not, there's still more good news. Not only did Christ nullify the law and break down the wall to bring us to God, but He also did it to create a brand new human society. Verse 14, Christ Himself is our peace, who has made the two, Jew and Gentile, one. Verse 15, His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This formation of a new people is a brand new act of creation. Christ came to end the hostility and the exclusion between Jew and Gentile, that old fleshly reality, and to create in the world a brand new unified humanity, a truly miraculous spirit thing. That's why the early Christians actually called themselves a new race, 
or a third race, neither Jew nor Gentile. When I lived in Washington, D.C. in the 90s, I helped to start a multi-ethnic church. And our African-American pastor loved this passage in Ephesians because he said it proved that racial reconciliation is a part of the gospel. One new humanity. And the more I read Paul, the more I have come to realize that in Paul's day, his gospel, which brought together Jew and Gentile as one humanity, his gospel was more radical on a social level than anything ever preached by Martin Luther King Jr. Because in Jesus Christ, God is breaking down all the barriers between people. Between Jew and Gentile first, yes, but also between male and female, between slave and free, between black and white, between conservative and liberal, between white collar and blue collar, even between homeschoolers and public schoolers. Do you have a gospel heart in how you think about and, and treat those who are different from you? Do you have a gospel heart? You see, the gospel brings unity. Paul was so big on salvation by grace and justification by faith, not only because those truths are so wonderful in themselves, giving us salvation and a relationship with God, but also because they are the only hope that people who by human standards have nothing in common can enjoy unity and fellowship together as God's people. Because as the saying goes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? Is that your attitude toward Christians who you disagree with? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because whenever we forget the gospel and we slip into legalism, we start rebuilding those walls that Christ knocked down. I think I'm better than you because I dress this way or I wouldn't go to that movie or, or I sacrifice more to raise my kids than you sacrifice to raise yours or my theology is more biblical than your theology. As soon as we start thinking that way, we're, we're going back to fleshly categories, Jew, Gentile, lawkeeper, lawbreaker. And Paul would say that we're making a mockery of the death of Christ. That we're falling away from grace. We're losing the good news. Because for those who follow Christ, who are depending on His death alone for our salvation, there's only one humanity. There's only one people of God. We're all in the same boat. None of us has done anything to, to boast about apart from Christ. In Ephesians 4, Paul will spell this out. He urges us to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So what is life like then for the new people of God? Well, let's finish up by looking at this third movement of the passage 
for the new us now that we're in. Verse 18, For through Christ we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Access by the Spirit. Access. What a wonderful word. My credit card um, sent me an email a couple years back with an exclusive chance to buy a VIP concert package for the big U2 concert that was coming to Giant Stadium. Now, I love U2. And for $1,000 and on up, a friend and I could have access to backstage, to a VIP party, to special parking, to front row seats. Hey, maybe we'd even get to meet the band. Well, our little one, Rachel, was just born around that time, and so we used all that money for diapers instead. (laughs) But people evidently will pay big money for access. But now that the barrier wall has been kicked down, knocked down by Christ, we all, Jew and Gentile, black and white, homeschoolers and public schoolers, young earth creationists and old earth creationists together have backstage pass access to God. How? By the Spirit, Paul says. In this new age, Christ has inaugurated the Spirit is the key to our relationship with God, to our unity as a people, and to our participation in the new humanity that God is creating. Verse 22, You are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Can you believe it? Paul is saying here that as a result of what Christ has done, we have become God's temple, the place where God's own presence dwells. Oh, how far we've come. It used to be that we were excluded from God's temple. Now, we've been brought so close that we are God's temple. You can't get any closer than that. God dwells in us by His Spirit. Talk about access. God is living within us and among us. Brothers and sisters, I don't think we've begun, I don't think I've begun to grasp the implications of this. If we have put our trust in Christ, then we live in the new age characterized by the Spirit. And God is building us together to be a temple in which He dwells. Why has God done all this? Well, there's at least two reasons. One is because God loves us. God saw us far off, even when we were Gentiles, excluded and far off. And God set His heart on us. And God went and got us and brought us in and adopted us to come and be a part of His family, to be the very temple in which He dwells. And two, a second reason that I think God has done all this, is because God is in the process of doing something big in this world through Jesus Christ. We saw it last night, chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. God has raised Christ up and seated Him in the heavenly realms above all rule and authority and power. And God has placed all things under Christ's feet and has appointed Christ to be the head over everything. 
And then back in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul adds, God's purpose in Christ, which is to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity to all things. Some translations have to sum up all things. Our world is not presently unified. It's broken. Sin has caused all of its, uh, this world's frayed threads to unravel and, and to shatter. But through Jesus, God is in the process of weaving it all back together again. One day, the world will be whole. One day, all things will have integrity and unity and cohesion and health and wholeness again in Christ. The new creation, the Bible calls it. One day. But in the meantime, God is fashioning a prototype of this new creation which is to come. It's the church. The the motley crew of dissimilar people who can't agree on just about anything sometimes, which God is fashioning together as He dwells among us by His Spirit. In the church, God is giving the world a foretaste of what's to come in the new creation. In the church, God is providing a sign of what is to come. And so that's our calling. And that's our privilege as the people of God. Not to always fight or or argue or criticize one another and to have a million church splits. But in our lives, in our relationships, in our unity, we are to be this good news of what God is doing and will one day complete in Christ to bring all things together in unity under one head. It's begun with us. We are to embody this good news. We are to be this good news as the church of Jesus Christ. That's something worth homeschooling about. Let's pray. God, what you have done in Christ is amazing and our minds real to try to begin to grasp it. And God, we admit that we're not a very unified people. And sometimes we have good reason for taking a stand on the truth, but so often we get preoccupied and proud about secondary things. So often we lose sight of the gospel. We wander away from the cross And we grow proud and self-righteous and distracted. And I pray through your spirit that you would bring us back. That you would make us agents of change. That you would make us people of good news. As we go to work. As we homeschool. As we learn. As some of us go to public school. As we live out our lives at home. In our neighborhoods. In our workplaces. And in church. I pray that you would make us good news. Thank you for all that you've done for us through Jesus. Amen.